Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Welcome to the It Is Top podcast. This is a special bonus series entitled, Why Is the Whole World Against Us? The purpose of this series is to offer a deeper spiritual insight into the current war that Israel is waging against Hamas in Gaza, as well as the geopolitical war Jews all around the world are waging in defense of our right to the land of Israel as our homeland and against worldwide anti-Semitism, which has risen exponentially in the aftermath of the October 7th massacre. The teachings I'll be relating are based on a sicha by, given by the Lubavitcher Rebbe in the year Tavshin Chavvav, or in the Hebrew year of 5726, or the English year of 1965. And the sicha is on Parshas Bereshis, based on the first Rashi in Parshas Bereshis. I studied and recorded this material in the merit of a swift victory of the IDF and the protection of all of our fellow soldiers and all Jewish lives within the land of Israel and throughout the world, as well as for the speedy return of our hostages, made happen very, very soon. So I just wanted to update that as of this recording today, which is on Yud Gemal Kislev, uh, or the 26th of November, 2023, there have been 58 of the hostages that have been released so far um, since we started this podcast. And we've been doing this podcast in the merit of having the hostages being released. So hopefully this will continue and hopefully we'll get all of the hostages to be released. Hopefully we will eradicate Hamas completely and we will win this war very speedily without any more Jewish casualties so I thought that I'd mention this just to give some encouragement to those of you that have been following along in this podcast in that merit uh, to know that our our learning is, you know, not to take too much credit for it, but our learning is helping with all of this. I, I set up this learning to help with the captives, to help with the hostages. And so let's just continue our work together and learning to us, hopefully uh, have all of them be released soon. So we left off last time on kind of a cliffhanger where, as I mentioned then, we were we got to at least in my mind what i think of as the crux of the sicha namely the accusation of the nations against us calling us robbers for conquering the land of israel and we got deeper into what that means exactly and we got into a, a discussion where we actually started to realize that there's actually some logic, some rationale behind their accusation, believe it or not. Um, and we spoke about the idea that the reason why, the deeper reason why they call us, they're calling us robbers, whether consciously or sub or subconsciously on some level, 
is because they sense the fact that us Jews, when we conquered the land of Israel, this wasn't a regular kind of conquering. We conquer, usually when people conquer land, then it doesn't change the essence of the land itself. It's like we see throughout history, as we mentioned, that many different nations conquer many different lands and land belongs to many different people throughout history. It changes name, it changes ownership and things like that. But where the land of Israel is different is that when the Jews conquered the land of Israel, then we actually changed the essence of the land in such a way that it could never again, even in potential, ever be conquered or owned by anybody else. Where to this day, we know, and really it's known throughout the world, that the land of Israel is the Jewish homeland, whether we've always lived there in a substantial way before even 1948, before we actually, you know, had a, 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 a political state of Israel as we know it today, even before that point throughout history, uh, ever since that original conquering of the land through Yoshua, then it's been known as a Jewish homeland. And everybody in the world senses that and sees that on some level. And so this is what they're upset about, really. What's underlying their, uh, their accusation against us is not the fact that we just conquered the land the way any other nation conquer, conquers the land, but rather because we conquered it in such a way that it can never again be conquered by anybody else. So today we're going to kind of give the flip side of this, like, you know, keeping this in mind, really delving into this accusation of the nations, you might think to yourself, like, wait a second. So are we actually saying that there's something to what they're saying? Are we actually saying that we did steal the land, that we did something that was against the rules? Um, you know, how, how could we say that? What What's really going on here? And this is where we get to the answer, the answer that Rashi gives us to give to the nations of the world in response to their accusations. So again, for context, and again, it's always kind of tricky to give a review at the beginning of these episodes because there is so much. But in really brief, uh, basically what we've, what we've been discussing in this series, this lecture series, is the very first Rashi of the Torah, in Parshas Bereshis, a very famous Rashi, in which Rashi asked the question, why did the Torah begin with the creation of the world instead of, it seemingly it should have started with the first, the blessing of the first month, which was the first mitzvah that was given to the Jewish people. So why did it begin this way? And then Rashi answers his own question and he says that the reason the Torah began this way was to give the Jewish people an answer to the nations that if the nations come to us and accuse us of being robbers for conquering the land of Israel, this is what we should say to them. And in this uh, lecture series, what we've been doing is we've been exploring a sicha by the Lubavitcher Rebbe in which he really analyzes this Rashi in a lot of from a lot of different angles um, by really breaking it down into its component parts. And we broke it down into four component parts. So there's the part number one is Rashi's question. Two is Rashi's answer, how he answers his own question. And then within that answer, we talked about the accusation of the nations, as well as the answer that Rashi gives to the accusation of the nations. He tells us to say to the, to the nations. And we went through the different questions that Rashi had about each one of these sections. And now we're getting into the answers. So, so far, we did all of the questions. And um, in terms of the answers, we spoke about the answers to our questions on Rashi's questions. We really delved deeper into Rashi's question, a deeper understanding of what he's really asking here and why it is a legitimate, legitimate question. Um, and the basic takeaway from that was the idea that the Torah is really comes from the word hara, which is a, 
lessons. And so the Torah is meant to be a book of lessons for Jews. And so if that's the case, then why, you know, the story of creation, yes, you know, it's a very good thing to know about, but what's the specific lesson to the Jewish people inherent therein? There must be a specific lesson to the Jewish people. And so this whole process of analyzing the different parts of this Rashi is really to help us really uncover what is this lesson to the Jews. You know, very simply, Rashi says that lesson for the Jews is it's, again, to give us this answer to the nations that God created the world and he and he has the right to give it to whoever he chooses. He gave it to the non-Jews. He gave it to us. Um, and so this is his right. But we're kind of trying to understand all of this on a much deeper level. So in the previous episode, as I mentioned, we really spoke about that the accusation of the nations. We spoke about uh, what is really going on with this accusation of the nation. And through understanding this deeper accusation, that it's not just about conquering land in a simple way uh, that other people conquer land, because that is not considered to be robbery by anybody. Nobody throughout history has ever said conquering land is robbery. Then now we can come to appreciate Rashi's answer to the nations and what he says that how he says that we should answer the nations. So that's going to be the subject of today's episode. So to get to a deeper appreciation of Rashi's answer to the nations, we're going to review, first of all, what the answer is, what Rashi's answer to the nations is. And as we'll see, it's very specific. There's a lot of details in that answer and the wording is very specific. And then we're going to recap what our questions on this answer were. And then we're going to give answers to all of this. So again, very technical sicha, but we're getting through it together and we're really getting there. So here we go. So, okay. So again, so what is Rashi's answer to the nations? They call us robbers for conquering the land of Israel. How are we supposed to answer them according to Rashi? So I'll read the Hebrew and I'll translate it as I go because, uh, Hearing the Hebrew words actually is going to be pretty essential for some of the things that we're going to be talking about here. So the answer goes, The entire world is God's world. He created it. And he gave it to whom he deemed proper in his eyes. In his will, he gave it to them. And with his will, he took it from them, and he gave it to us. And then, as we've already discussed in a previous episode, we had a bunch of questions, or rather the Rebbe had a bunch of questions about this answer. Here are the questions. The first question was, why bring up the whole world when the accusation is only about the land of Israel? Right? So usually when you answer a question, you your answer is directed specifically towards that which is being asked so uh, or that which is being accused. So, you know, if somebody accuses you of stealing a bicycle, you don't then talk about your whole house. You talk about the bicycle. You talk about the specific item that's being mentioned. So in this case, the nations of the world are accusing us of stealing the land of the seven nations, namely the land of Israel. So why are we saying here, starting off this whole answer to them, saying the entire world belongs to God? Why bring up the whole world? Uh, Second question is why bring up creation? So what does what is creation, you know, again, yes, it's very good to know that God created the world, but what's the connection to creation here and this accusation? So it could have, you know, we could have just said the entire world belongs to God uh, and thus he has the right to give it to whoever he wants. Why do we have to say God created it? The, what does what created it add? 
what's why do we need to say that not only that in connection with this idea of creation then we see that the that um there's actually the way that the text is written there seems to be a, an actual real connection between creation and the right of god giving the land to whoever he wants because if you look again in the hebrew this is why it's good to kind of look at the hebrew as we we see that it says he created it and he gave it to whom he deemed proper in his eyes. And so in Hebrew, the word and is the word vav. It's represented by the word vav. Sometimes we pronounce it as v and sometimes we pronounce it as u. And it's not a word in its own right. It's here, it's connected to the word that's after. It's connected here to unitna and he gave it to. Meaning to say that there's a connection. There's a connection between the idea of God, God creating it and God giving it. So what's the connection? There seems to be not only, you know, that it's important to mention the fact that God created the world here, but there seems to be a connection between this idea of God creating the world and giving it to to who to who he deemed proper. Uh, the next question that we had is why did Rashi seemingly repeat himself? What's the repetition? So we see that if we look back in that Rashi, we see that there's it's uh, when we talk about God giving the land to the Jewish people, it's actually mentioned twice in two different ways. First, we say that he gave it to whom he deemed proper in his eyes, which seems to imply the Jewish people. And then it says, he, with his will, he gave it to them, meaning to the non-Jews. And with his will, he took it from them and gave it to us. So again, so it's mentioned twice, this idea of God giving the land of Israel to us. First, it's mentioned when we say that he gave it to whom he deemed proper in his eyes. And only afterwards does it say that he took it from them and gave it to us. So why, why this? repetition what's that about the next question we have a lot of questions for this one is why do we have to know about god giving it to the other nations like if the whole point you know it's all about lessons for us and the torah is written for the jews why even talk about this idea of god giving it to the other nations rashi could have simply said this was god's land and he so thus he gave it to whoever he wanted it to and so he gave it to, to the jews this this is it keep it simple why talk about this whole thing about God giving it to the non-Jews. And then the last question, which is related to that question, is how could God have really wanted Ham's sons to conquer Israel? So Ham, again, was the one of the three sons of Noah and after the flood. And Ham was the son that actually was cursed for making fun of Noah, of his father, after the flood, when when Noah drank too much wine, and then he was drunk, and Ham made fun of him, and because of this, him and his descendants, uh, especially his his son Canaan, they were cursed. So when we say that God gave it to them, we know that for for a good while, this them that was being referred to was Canaan, was the descendants of Ham. So why? So how could it be that God? actually wanted to give it to Ham, like that is even more bizarre. So forget about the fact that Rashi's mentioning this, bringing up this like sore spot in our history that actually the land did not always belong to us, but actually belonged to other nations, not only to other nations, but to actually this this uh, cursed nation of Ham. So why, why indeed did it belong to them this whole time? So let's get into it. Let's let's try to figure out what these answers are based on the Rebbe Sicha. Okay, so we're actually going to start with the first two questions, which we're actually going to see are pretty related to one another. So again, the, those first two questions that we had about this answer was one, why are we bringing up the whole world? 
when we're only talking about the land of Israel? And two, why are we bringing up creation here? What does creation have to do with ownership? What What's the connection? And so to really appreciate the answer to this and why the whole world is involved here and uh, it's important to mention the whole world and it's important to mention creation, we actually have to go back and think about what we learned in yesterday's episode, namely about this idea of the Jews transforming the essence of the land of Israel and how the essence of the land changed. It wasn't just an, an exchange of ownership of, of, uh, of property, like w- the way a transfer of ownership would be done with other property, but when the Jews conquered the land of Israel, actually the essence of the land changed. And so what makes this possible, this existential change transformation, the, the essential change of something is only the only like entity that could do such a thing is God. Why? Because God created the world. So it's not just about God owning the world. It's about God creating the world. And it's about God creating the entirety of the world. And since God created the entire world, this gives him the power. This, you know, it's it's his world, literally, not just like, oh, he owns the land, so he owns the property rights to it, but he created it. He actually created it. So thus he created it in one way. He could change his essence and have a different type of essence now. So now we can understand understand why this idea of creation is so important to mention here because we're talking about the essential changing transformation of the land not just an exchange of ownership of rights and in line with this this is why it's important to mention the entire world too because you we really have to understand the fact that God created the entire world and thus it's at his disposal to do whatever he wants with it But okay, so God has this power, right, to change the essence of something, but it still doesn't answer our question, namely this idea, the accusation of the nations. Why is this not a real accusation? Like they're accusing us of doing something that we actually did, as we said. They're accusing us of transforming the essence of the land in a way that uh, that is different and it can never change back ever again. Um, so if this is true, what they're saying to us, how do we have the right to do this? This is, we're not playing by the rules of the game. The rules of normal conquer- conquest of land is again, you know, you go out, you conquer land, today it's mine, tomorrow it's yours, you know, but it's essentially the same land. It's not, there's nothing like inherently transformative about the land when a person conquers it, except for the land of Israel and the Jewish people and what we, what happens when we conquer that land. So what gives us the right to do this? Okay, yes, God has this power, but that still doesn't explain what gives us as Jews the right to do this. So this is where we come to see again that interesting wording, that interesting vav, the vav that uh, means and, that connects those two sections, the hu he created it, untna, and he gave it to whom he deemed proper in his eyes. So we see now why those two things are very interconnected. So why is that? Because we see that that it was immediately after God created the world, it wasn't a separate thing. It wasn't like, oh, he created the world and then he, you know, decided, what am I going to do with this land? What am I going to do with that land? No, it was immediately upon creating the world that God gave it to whom he deemed proper in his eyes, meaning to the Jewish people. What does that mean that he gave it to them? I mean, at the very beginning of the creation of the world, the Jewish people didn't even exist, you know, as a nation. We spoke about this in previous episodes, how we only really became a nation in the year 2448 when we received the Torah at Mount Sinai. So what does it mean that God gave us the land of Israel at the moment of creation? It means that he did so in thought. This was his intention all along. So immediately upon creating the world, uh, God 
set it up that the land of Israel will be a land for the Jews. There are many spiritual layers to all of this in terms of what we mean by God creating things in thought, in terms of the initial thoughts that God had at the beginning of creation, in terms of how we actually were created before the world was created, how Torah was created before the world was created. But now's not the time to really delve into all of this because we are, as much as this is a complex sicha, it's not a super esoteric sicha. It's actually very much focused on the literal text. So again, getting back to the literal text and getting back to what we're saying here is that at the moment of creation, God had in mind to give this land to the Jewish people. He gave it to them. So even though, yes, you know, we didn't come about to be as a nation yet, he had in his mind set aside this land of Israel is going to be for the Jews. It's like Lahavdil, let's say you had a businessman who owned a certain chain of pizza shops and he's about to open up a new pizza shop. And as he's opening up that next pizza shop, he has in mind that this pizza shop is going to be for his youngest son and he wants his younger son to take over this pizza shop. So he, he even like, let's say, signs the son's name somewhere. You know, maybe the son doesn't even know about it. Nobody knows about it. But the, the father knows when he buys this pizza shop at the moment that he's buying it, he's buying it for that son. So it's the same thing here. Upon creating the world, God gave it to the Jewish people then and there in thought. He gave it to whom he deemed proper in his eyes. So what this implies is that, in fact, the non-Jewish nations never had a right to the land. So when we said, you know, oh, they might think now here that we're saying that God gave it to them at some point. So haha, that means they do have a right to the land and God gave it to them. Aren't they so special? No, God actually never really gave the land to them. It was always the Jewish people's lands. It, it was meant for the Jews at the moment of creation in God's thought. He gave it to the Jews right then and there. And thus, this is why when God took the land from the non-Jewish nations, he had full right to take it from them and give it back to us because it was our land all along. It was never their rightful ownership of the land. But of course, this begs the question. Uh, they did have that land, right? They did have, They had it for many years throughout most of our history as Jews. It was not under Jewish ownership. We were exiled from, from our land. We're still exiled from our land to a certain extent. We still don't have full ownership of our land. This battle rages till today. As I'm recording this podcast, there are thousands and upon thousands, millions of people around the world that are calling us occupiers for occupying the land of Israel. And we know that, at least as I'm recording this podcast, there's a good portion of biblical Israel that is not under our domain. The A big section is uh, under Jordanian control, for example. So knowing that this is the case, how do we, what's this all about? You know, would God really wrong the Jews in this way? If, if it really was fully his intention all along for us to have this land, and that it really was always a Jewish land from the beginning of time until now and eternally so we don't see this in practice why why would god give it to them so to understand this we're going to get back into the text again into the hebrew text again to look at the uh, specific wording here and we're going to look at one specific word that comes up in the text where we see with his will he gave it to them and with his will he took it from them and gave it to us so this word will, build so no, with his will. This is not a word that is used lightly. In Torah, in Chassidus, you know, it's a very deep word. It means God's will. When we talk about God's will, this is a very deep thing. 
we brought this up in our questions uh, on on the answer to the nation where we talked about the idea that when we say build so no with his will, what this implies is that it's over and above regular divine providence. So we know again that everything in the world is divine providence. Everything that happens, whether it's a little ant walking across the street or whatever it is, everything is divinely ordained by God. But yet there is a difference between things that are just regular divine providence and things that are more intentional by God in like a more willful, like explicit way. And so an example of this is this idea that we've been bringing up of God setting aside in his thought, the land of Israel for the Jews at the very beginning of creation. That was something that God willfully did. So a way to kind of think about this, the difference between this regular divine providence versus, uh, you know, this more willful kind of explicit thing is what comes to mind for me this is just my own kind of thought example of it is if if I let's say wanted to uh, set up a play and let's say I wanted the play to convey a very specific message to it and I had a whole storyline and all that stuff and everything so to set up the stage for the play let's say especially if I'm very detail oriented then every single detail on that stage is going to be very intentional for sure, right? And it's all gonna be under my providence, whether it's there's a tree on the stage, whether the the color, the lighting, all that stuff. But yet where my will is really gonna be explicitly like portrayed isn't gonna be so much in like the curtains and the lighting and those kind of things, even though maybe to a certain extent it will be because it's all gonna be reflecting what it is that I wanna convey in the in the play. But there's gonna be a more explicit type of portrayal of my will in let's say the choice of actors, in the dialogue, in the script, and those kind of things. So that's kind of how my understanding is of the difference between this regular divine providence versus this more willful type of intention that we see with God. So again, getting back to this issue that we have, we say, you know, that God with his will, he gave it to them and with his will, he took it from them and gave it to us. So what do we mean by this? So keeping in mind the original intent of creation, and we know that there's a principle of the end is wedged in the beginning, the beginning is wedged in the end. This means that the the ultimate intent is for us. The ultimate intent of all of creation is that the land of Israel should be ours. God put it aside, just like, you know, again, that pizza shop owner put aside this pizza shop. He bought the pizza shop. It's for his younger son. But along the way, for whatever reason, the pizza shop owner might decide that his son isn't ready to have the pizza shop. Maybe he feels like it needs to first belong to some other people who are going to build it up or whatever. I don't know. It's just a random example that I'm thinking of. But in the, in our case, going back to the land of Israel, that's exactly what it is here, is that part of the process of giving this land of Israel to us, because that is its ultimate purpose. It was its ultimate purpose since the very beginning of time, since the very beginning of creation. In order for this to happen, it has to go through the ownership of the non-Jewish people. It has to go through um, them having the land for a certain amount of time. This is the idea of with his will. So when we say with his will, he gave it to them and with his will, he took it from them and gave it to us. We're not saying that God really wanted them to have the land the same way that he wanted us to have the land. But rather, the true, true intent is from the beginning of creation was that he gave it to whom he deemed proper in his eyes. So this is the will, the overarching will that supersedes, that pervades everything that comes after that, which means that this will is there, is pervasive while he's giving the land to the nations of the world. It's this will that's the driving force. The will that the land be for us is the driving force behind the non-Jews' 
giving the non-Jews the land for a certain amount of time. And it's that same will that's the driving force behind taking the land from them and then giving it to us. So with this, we now can come to, again, revisit those questions that we had about uh, about Rashi's answer to the nations. And hopefully we can have a little bit of a deeper appreciation of it now. So going back to the questions again, once again, another recap, I'm actually going to recap the first three questions first, because we'll see that they all kind of can be answered in one answer. So again, the first three questions was, why bring up the whole world when the accusation is only about the land of Israel? Why bring up creation here? What's the connection between creation and God's right to give the land to whom he wants? So we now know that all of these things are actually connected and they're all talking about the same idea. The idea that God created, not only just created the land of Israel, but God created the entire world, which means that that gives him the ability through the power vested in him through creation to change the essence of the land, to change it into a different, transform it into a different type of thing, not just externally, but internally and essentially as well in whatever way that he wants. Then we come to our question about the repetition. So why does Rashi seemingly repeat himself where he first says that God gave it to whom he deemed proper? And then again, we say that God took it from the non-Jewish nations and gave it to us. So it seems like it's repeating itself himself twice. So now we can understand through this deeper appreciation about this idea of God having it in his thought that the land of Israel belongs to the Jews at the very onset of creation. Um, this was in thought, but then in only in actuality did this come about after he gave it to the non-Jews. So it was only, so original, so it's not really a repetition. The first time that Rashi says this, he's talking about the idea of God giving it to the, the Jews in thought to whom he deemed proper in his eyes at the time of creation. And then God actually gave the land to the Jews in actuality after it goes through first this process of giving it to the non-Jewish nations, taking it from them and giving it to us. And then we come to our final two questions, which we had about this answer, which was, why do we have to know about God giving it to the other nations? And then uh, linked to this, uh, connected to this, is how could it be that God actually wanted to give it to the sons of Ham um, he, for a certain amount of time, that he wanted them to conquer the land of Israel? And so we didn't fully answer this question yet today, but uh, but the basic answer that we came to kind of getting towards the answer is through the, this idea of will. Where we start to realize that it's not that God wanted them to have the land in like a true sense in the way that God willed us to have the land, even though it is using that same wording, but rather that same wording is there to hint at the fact that it's talking about God's true and ultimate will, which was the first will that we spoke about, that initial uh, primordial will, which is that the land of Israel belonged to the Jews, which means that every step along that process, including the steps involving um, the non-Jews conquering the land of Israel, that too is part of God's ultimate will, which is to give it to, to the Jewish nation. So it's all part of the same thing. It's all about giving the land to the Jews, that it is it, it was God's intention all along that this land belonged to us. So that's where we're going to conclude for today. And uh, in the next episode, we're going to get to our final section of answers, namely the answers about Rashi's answer to his own question. So uh, what we mean by that is we spoke about the details of Rashi's answer. We spoke about the idea of the accusation of the nations, and we spoke about our answer to the accusation of the nations. But in the next episode, we're going to talk about Rashi's answer, like in a more general sense, like meaning um, how does this answer about 
the accusation of the nations and our answer to the accusation of the nations, how does it answer Rashi's initial question about the order of the text, about the about putting creation, the text beginning with the creation of the world, or even including the creation of the world at all? Like what what is the real connection here between all of this? Uh, so we're kind of going to really bring it all together in the next episode. It will not be the final episode. There is more to come after that because we're going to see that even after we learn this, these final answers to uh, to Rashi's answer and having a fuller picture of the Rashi in that sense, we're actually going to uh, come to a deeper understanding and appreciation of this Rashi uh, on an even deeper level in terms of our souls, in terms of the way that we learn Torah, our, our purpose in terms of learning Torah, and the Torah itself. So stay tuned for all of that coming soon. And I will speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast, hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Avraham Yitzchak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Top project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.